0: Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26, verse 31 to 56. We deal with a section of Scripture uh, where we see the betrayal of Jesus Christ. So I invite you to join me, and uh, we'll read together from verse 31. It says, And Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered and said to him, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, This night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. And Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. And he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. And he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death, stay here and watch with me. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, what? Could you not watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray. Pray. Lest you enter into temptation, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again a second time he went away and prayed, saying, O my father, if this cup cannot pass from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words, and he came to his disciples and said to them, "Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand." While he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, one of the uh, with a great multitude with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now his betrayer had given them a sign saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one, seize him. And immediately he went up to Jesus and he said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus said to him, Friend, why have you come? And they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And suddenly one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand, drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Jesus said to him, Put your sword in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think I cannot now pray to my Father, and He will provide me more than twelve legions of angels? How then would the Scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen thus? In that hour, Jesus said to the multitudes, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I sat daily with you, teaching in the temple, and you did not seize me. But all this was done, that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just come before you and we ask, Lord, that your spirit would be with us. Guide us, lead us, give us eyes to see. Rectify within our hearts. The very same struggles that we see in the hearts of the disciples help us to realize the same weakness that was in them is in us. Equip us, Lord, by the power of your Spirit to receive your Word and allow your Word to do its fruitful work in our life that we might be Transformed into the image of your son and not conformed to this world. Father, we ask your blessing, your anointing, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we look at scripture this morning and we see that the betrayer has come and Jesus is taken, but as we look at it, I want you to recognize. That Jesus, over and over and over again, made predictions that He was going to be taken. That He would be betrayed, that He would be scourged, that He would be beaten. He laid out for us all these things that were going to happen, so that His disciples would know. His care, his, His concern was for His disciples. It was for them that He told them this. He doesn't tell them this so that he can put them down. He doesn't tell them you're going to forsake me. He tells them because he wants them to know, I knew this was always in your heart. The day I called you at the shores of Galilee and said, you will be my disciples. And every time he talked about their failing and his death, he also talked about his resurrection and a new beginning. Oh, we miss we miss that concept so often in our lives, and we have things occur in our life, even as we see going in the life of Christ here, and we see the, the struggle that he's facing, and we see the 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 battle within his soul dealing with the suffering that he's about to to endure. But even in all of that, his worry is that we, they, would know that he knew they were going to fall. That they would know that he was going to rise. And in his resurrection comes the power for us to succeed where they fail. And in that resurrection comes the beauty of a new day. And a new beginning. Anybody ever needed a new beginning before? Yeah, almost at the end of every night I could use one. (laughs) Just ask my kids, they'll tell you. Yeah, dad needs a new beginning. We see that Jesus, as he predicts what's going to take place here, as he lays out for us. I want you to remember something. We're going to back up a few verses. Look at uh, verse 21 of chapter 26. In verse 21, the scripture says, And Now as they were eating, Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Be a good student of the word. That's the first time the disciples know the betrayer is one of them. Prior to that, Jesus said he would be betrayed. But that night at the Last Supper, he said it was going to be one of them. And when John asked him, he said, it's the one who dips the sop with me. Now, I want you to remember two things. One, every single one of those disciples dipped the sop. But John saw Judas do it at that moment. Still didn't grasp it. But here's what I want you to see. When Jesus was taken, when he was taken, they all betrayed him. They all left. They all ran. They didn't stand with him. Any of us that have gone through an experience like this and had all our friends scatter would consider it the same thing. But here, as we look at the Scriptures, Jesus is saying, Man, listen, I know this is going to happen. And He says it's going to happen to fulfill Scripture. It's going to happen because this is what the Word of God teaches. It's what it says. In Zechariah 13, 7, the Word says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is my companion, says the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd. And the sheep will be scattered, and I will turn my hand against the little ones. Zechariah saying, and, and Matthew attributing the scripture to Jesus Christ, being the shepherd. What did the scripture tell us in Psalm 23? Who is the shepherd? The Lord. the Lord is my shepherd. That's what the 23rd Psalm says. Capital L-O-R-D. The Lord. The Tetragrammaton. The name of God. God is my shepherd. John chapter 10. Jesus said what? I am The good shepherd who does what? Gives his life for the sheep. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will flee. Jesus said it would be this way because the scripture lays it out for us. Because the word of God knew. God understood. But then in verse 33, guys, in verse 33, Peter does what he does best. He opens his mouth. You ever known people that have the gift of opening their mouth? So occasionally I wish they would also develop the gift of closing their mouth. doesn't often come together, if you ever notice. Those who have the gift of open mouth don't always have the gift of closed mouth. But when he opens it, listen to what he says. Even if all were made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. We look at Peter, let's just, let's just look, even if... All of these stumbled. Jesus says to him. This night before the rooster crows. You'll deny me three times. But Peter says again. Even if I have to die with you. I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. So we come to this portion of scripture. And we see the presumption of Peter. The presumption of Peter. The psalmist would write for us. In the psalm. Psalm 19 Psalm 19, verse 13, he says, Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sin. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I will be blameless, and I will be innocent of great transgression. The psalmist says, Let me not have presumptuous sin. Guard me from it. That sin that says, I'd never do that. Ever had those words? Slip past your lips before. There are several things we'll see in in Peter. We see in his in, in this example of of what's going on. First thing is he says presumptuously, "I I would never do such a thing." I mean, Lord, don't you know I was the guy who was there way back there, to, and I, and I declared you to be the Son of God. In, in fact, you told me. Flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, Peter, but my Father which is in heaven has revealed it to you. But just like the rest of us, Peter forgot the second part. When Jesus said he was going to be crucified and die, and Peter says, far be that from you, Lord. And Jesus rebukes him and says, get thee behind me, Satan. You have not in your mind the things of God. Peter He was so sure that his walk was so good, that his spirituality was so strong, that he had everything that he needed, that he would never, even if everybody else does. You know, I guess the world would tell us we need an abundance of self-confidence. I would say we need to learn how to have confidence in the Lord and forget about confidence in yourself. He says, I would never do that. I'm strong enough. So he forgot. He forgot what Jesus had told them. You remember. Well, you'll know. Let's look in Luke. To Turn to the right a couple of pages. You come to Luke chapter 22, uh, a parallel section of Scripture. But Jesus had told them. He'd given them a warning. You'll recognize this warning as we look at it together. Luke chapter 22, verse 31 And the Lord said to him, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. I didn't even know such a thing was possible. But here Jesus says, Satan wants you, Peter. Specifically, now you and I, we may feel like the devil is doing things in our life, but... but None of us are really so important that we're going to draw the attention of Satan himself. Peter, however, drew his attention. Satan has asked. Two things that we want to recognize in that. One, Satan has a desire to destroy Peter. Two, he had to ask for permission. There is no way... For Satan or any other demon to lay a finger on a brother or sister apart from God's allowance. You cannot be, nor will you ever be, possessed after you've given your life to Jesus Christ. There is no room in your life for the devil. He can't come in, nor anyone else. But as we look at the pages of Scripture, Satan asks, what does it say? He's asked that he may sift you as wheat. Now, I don't know what that means, but it doesn't sound good. I don't want to be sifted. Then he goes on and says, but I have prayed for you. Jesus has prayed for Peter. Now, when we look at this, guys... Don't remove yourself from this, because the scripture declares to us that Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he ever lives to do what? Make intercession for you and I. That means the very same thing that's going on in Peter's life, Jesus currently is doing in heaven for you. Whenever the enemy would come and ask. And whenever there'd be an opportunity for there to be an event, some type of hardship in your life that would come from the enemy, and he asked, Jesus is there praying for you, just like he prayed for Peter. Just like it. Peter, the devil's asked for you, that he could sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you, listen, that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren... But he said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. And he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day before you will deny three times that you know me. Four things we know from that section of scripture. One, Satan wanted him. Two, he will fall. Did you catch that? And when you have returned... He has to return because he's going to fall. But what we have in that promise, not only is it Satan wants him and he will fall, but the third thing we have is you will return. And finally, the fourth thing, strengthen your brethren. Strengthen your brethren. Because I once had a brother tell me one time, His armor, the armor of the Lord, you know, the scripture tells us to take on the armor, put on the armor. And he said his armor was messed up. Had dents and dings and just dirty. And I said, I don't know about the rest of you, but I'm not following anybody in shiny armor anywhere. I want to follow the dude who looks like he's been in it before. And that's what Peter became. In his betrayal. A man who's been in it before. A man who has the ability to strengthen the brethren. Not because he's so strong. Not because he's so spiritually mighty. But because God is so strong. Because God's spirit is so mighty. And the Lord is able to restore unto Peter. And now he'll be able to come to the brethren. And strengthen them. Not to come tell them. You know you guys aren't as strong as me. I'll never fall even if you do. The Lord is working in his life. The Lord is moving in a mighty way upon him and through him, but he had forgotten the warning that Jesus gave him. The next thing we see is he failed to understand his own weakness. Do you ever notice people who have big talk? I always, somewhere in my past, somebody once told me, If a fella has to talk about how good he is in a fight, he's not any good in a fight. If he don't talk at all, you better watch out. Big talk don't always equal a big walk. Peter didn't recognize; he failed to recognize his own weakness. His own struggle that he has in his life. And and, and another thing in regard to that, he failing to recognize his own weakness. He was willing to die for Jesus, but God wanted him to live for him. Do you know the difference? I was willing, he says, I'm willing to die for Jesus. Hey, Jojo, I was willing to die for Jesus, He has a plan and a a concept of what he wants to do. He's willing to go to prison, but he's only willing to do it his way. Do you listen? He's only willing to do it his way. I'll die. I'll go to prison. I'm going to be, I'm going to use my physical strength and I'm going to use my own ability and I'm going to overcome this issue. And this is going to be my focus and this is where I'm going to put my attention. Not that it will not be By might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Not by might. Peter was willing to do it his way, but but not necessarily God's way. He says, I'm never going to fall. And then he looked at everyone else and he said, I'm stronger than all of you. You ever caught yourself saying that about a brother or sister? You see them go through something, some struggle, and you say, Well, I'd never do that. Well, let me tell you, you're talking like Peter. And you're not talking like Christ. It's easy to see the failures and the, and the failings of others. And it's so hard to see our sin worn by someone else. But the attitude of Christ was an attitude of compassion, reaching out to those who would fall. Fall. And encouraging them to return. And saying that He would meet them and that there would be a new day and a new opportunity. But the attitude of the self-righteous and the self-religious would point to the sin of another and say, I would never do that. Those of you who know my, my testimony, I won't go into it now, but I once was asked to reach out to a young man who was struggling a lot like me. And so I went and I met with him and I talked with him and I and I shared the word and the power of God and in and, and his life and the the desire if he would just do what, what God has laid out for him, that God's hand would be with him as blessing and things would turn around. And I went afterwards, his mom asked me to come by and meet with her so I came by to see her and, and I sat down w- with his mom and I said, man, I'm afraid he's going to do the same stuff I did and she said ask my son he'd never do that man let you who thinks he stands take heed lest you fall really you'll never fall you'd never do that i'd never stumble in that sin i'd never i'd never mess up in that way first corinthians chapter 10 says let him who thinks he stands take heed be careful Because if you're standing in your own strength, your failure is is imminent. It will come. It will happen. And here Peter says, I'm able to stand. Even if everybody else runs away, I'm able to overcome. And so Jesus, at this point in verse 36, He comes and He says to them, He takes them to a place called Gatshmoné, Gethsemane. And he said to the disciples, sit here while I pray over there. Now, the the majority of the disciples, he went with the eleven, he sits them down. Guys, you hang out here, I'm going to go over there and pray. But he takes three guys with him. Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John. The, the inner circle of the disciples. The, the apostle of love. Peter, who's going to begin the, the whole thrust of the church and in, in the church's ministry on the day of Pentecost. And James, the first one that's going to die of the disciples. He brings them with him out into the garden, Gethsemane, the place of the oil press. He brings them out and the scripture declares to us, he brought them out and he said... My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He asked those three. Stay here and watch with me. His soul was exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. And people have wondered still today, why? What is he sorrowful over? There's so many possibilities. So many possibilities that, that stick out. It would be almost impossible to nail it down to just one thing. Perhaps it's the betrayal of Peter. The fact that he's about to deny he even knows him. And by the way, when we come to that next week, and we see that section of Scripture, as Peter is denying Christ, Christ looks at him. He's being beaten and manhandled by the mob. And Peter, by the enemy's fire, is denying that he knows him. Perhaps... The understanding that that's about to take place, that Peter is about to stumble and fall. Maybe it'll be the fact that his disciples are all going to leave him. That they've walked with him for three years and then at this peak moment in his ministry when he's going to be taken, they're all going to leave. Maybe it's a betrayal of Judas. I want you to think about the words of Jesus when he said, All that you have given me I have not lost but one the son of perdition. Jesus doesn't want to lose any. The scripture says that God has no glory in the destruction of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn and live. Perhaps it's the loss of Judas, his ultimate choice of betrayal, turning his back on them. Maybe it's a disappointment that the disciples he asked to pray with him aren't going to be able to do it. They won't even last for one hour. They won't even pray with Him for one hour as He gathers in that place. And when we talk about prayer and we think about that, you know, I want to encourage you in this way in regard to our prayer life. The picture of submission to the Lord is going to be proportionate to two things. Our prayer and our obedience. If you ask yourself, I, I, am I submitted to God? Am I submitted to the Lord and what God wants to do in my life? Then look at those areas of your life. Look at them. Your prayer life and your obedience. Because they will relate who indeed you are submitted to. How much time? How much time devoted to prayer? How much devoted to the obedience, obeying God's word? Well, there's one more thing that I think was part of the issue for Jesus. He's so sorrowful. He's so heavy. But he's reaching a point in the Garden of Gethsemane where he is going to show, model for us, what dedication to God looks like. He who knew no sin, which would become our sin, he's going to model for us in in Gethsemane dedication to the Lord. What does that look like? What what form does it take? Here he is, and he says, I'm going to pray. I'm going to to go before the Lord. Hebrews, if you want to turn to the book of Hebrews with me, Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7 through 9, if you really want to understand what's happening in the Word, then we have to learn to become students of the Word and allow the Word to tell us. To speak to our hearts about what's going on. Let's take a look. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7 through 9. It says, Who in the days of his flesh, speaking of Christ, when he offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. Jesus is going before the father and he's praying but it is not a prayer to save him from dying he says save him from death that word from in the greek is the word ek it means out of to save him out of death that means the resurrection he's speaking about the resurrection He's he's going to go into a time of suffering. He's going to enter into a time of, of heaviness. We can't even begin to fathom in our minds because the Scripture tell us that He was crucified from the foundation of the world before time began. There's, there's things involved in the sacrifice that Jesus makes that we'll never fully grasp. But as He calls out to the Father in in reference to the resurrection, it says He was heard because of His godly fear, because of the honor and respect that He had given to the Father, because Jesus Christ had willingly submitted Himself equal with God, but made Himself of no reputation. He came and he, He brings Himself before the Lord. And though He was a son, the Scripture says, yet He learned obedience, how? By the things He suffered. And having been perfected, He became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey Him. He learned obedience in the things He suffered. That's a difficult Scripture to deal with. He learned obedience. The Word of God lays out for us That it is in the furnace of affliction that God perfects us. Just like the the silver, the gold is refined in the fire, the Lord knows that our character is developed in the furnace of affliction. As much as we would like to say that we develop and we do great because everything is good and life is easy, life being easy does not show your character. It does not show your, your true nature. But in the furnace of affliction the gold of our character is developed and Jesus modeled that for us the gold of his character modeled for us in the furnace of affliction in Isaiah 48:10 it says i have refined you but not as silver i have tested you in the furnace of affliction 1 Peter chapter 2, we've, we've looked at that scripture in the last couple of weeks. Verse 21 through 25 says this, For to this you were called, you, me, all of us, because Christ suffered for us, leaving us, what? An example that we ought to follow in His steps. You know, there's teaching that goes around saying that there should never be suffering in the life of a believer. That flies in the face of the word of God. It's not true. The word of God says that we should follow in his footsteps. He who committed no sin nor was deceit found in his mouth. Who when he was reviled, when people said harsh things to him, when they attacked him. He did not revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten. But he committed himself... To him who judges righteously, he gave himself to the Father holy, completely. And that's what he did in Gethsemane. I'm all yours. Whatever that means, whatever that road brings, I'm all yours. Holy, completely. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you are healed. For you were like sheep, having gone astray, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Just like the disciples, we have scattered, but we return. We come to Him. And when we see Jesus here, we see Him at the Garden of Gethsemane. We see Him praying. Look at verse 39. What's He say? He says, He went a little farther, fell on His face and prayed, saying, Oh my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but You will. We want a little more insight into what's going on in the mind of Christ. We find it in Luke chapter 22. In verse 44, it says, And he, being in agony, he prayed all the more earnestly. Jesus providing for us an example of what it is to be submitted to the Lord. When's the last time I prayed in agony? When's the last time I'm so moved by a lost world? That I agonize before the Lord. He was in agony, and that agony led him to pray all the more earnestly. And his sweat came, as it were, like great drops of blood falling on the ground. And what did he do in his prayer? He called for his dad. It's one of the few places in Scripture, and you see it three times in a row, where Jesus calls the Father my Father. My Father. He says, Oh, my Father. Oh, my Father. In the point of his greatest distress, the first place that he went was to his Father. He gives this to us as an example. Where's the first place we go in distress? Lawyer's office? Where's the first place we go when we're in distress? Police station? Where's the first place we go when we're in distress? The first place he went was to his father. Oh, my father. He cried to him three times in Matthew. Three times he reaches out to him. Because the relationship he had with his father was the most precious possession he had During his time of suffering. Chew on that for a second. The relationship he had with his father. Was the most precious possession. He had during his time. Of suffering. When suffering enters into our life. We're going to make one of two choices. We're going to get mad at God and run away. Or we're going to look to the Lord. To hold on to him. Which are we going to do? This past week, no less than three people coming through my office in need of a variety of different things. All of them struggling with the same thing. Life's disappointments and their anger toward God because of it. But you see, when we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, when we have a relationship with God the Father, He becomes the most precious thing that I possess. So that when things get sideways, I don't run away. I run to. I run to him. To be held in his harm. To be comforted. It does not mean that he's going to take it away. I don't know where we got the idea that if we go through hard things in life, God is mad at us. That's not what, te- what scripture teaches. But let me tell you what it does tell us. It does tell us. That when we go into the furnace of affliction. He is there with us. He said I will never leave you. Or forsake you. When Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were in the fire. Were they there alone? No. Nebuchadnezzar looks in and he says. I see one like as unto the son of man. The Lord is with us. In that place. But he won't. He won't take all those things away. In fact, when we come to the church of Smyrna, when we go through our study in the book of Revelation, he tells the people of Smyrna, be faithful unto death. He doesn't say, be faithful and I'll deliver you. He says, be faithful until you die and I will give you the crown of life. Be faithful. Be faithful. Hold on to the Lord. Cling to Him. Not to all the other stuff that we want to run to, but Him wholly and completely. I had an uncle. My uncle's name was Bruce. In fact, the only reason I play guitar today, or sing or do any of that stuff, was because of my uncle Bruce. He was my dad's youngest brother. And my dad's youngest brother struggled in homosexual relationships his whole life. He loved the Lord... But he struggled. He'd come out of a homosexual lifestyle. Now, I know some of you are thinking, how is that even possible? Let me, let me help you. <laughs> let, me, let me help you. We're all liars. We know where liars go or what they deserve. And I don't know about you. Maybe you could be like Peter and say you would never do that. But I, I'm sure I told a lie last week. I'm sure Kathy called me and said, have you fed the kids? And I said, yeah. (laughs) I struggle still with sin. My uncle struggled with it. He'd come out. He acknowledged it was a sin. And this sin had power over his life and he would fall. And he'd come out and he would fall. And he'd come out and he would fall. One day he came come to visit us, sat down in the living room and he says, well, I have AIDS. And I don't know how much longer I have. But if you guys are willing, I'd like to be part of your lives again. Sure, he's family. We'll be part of your life. Handed me a guild guitar and said, I don't think I'm going to get to play this much longer, but I'd sure like it if you'd start playing again. Gave my kids a keyboard. Taught them how to play. One night he told me, you know, Jackie, I struggle with whether or not God can forgive me for the things I've done in my life, for the choices I've made. And I'm just crying out to the Lord. I'm just crying out to Him. God, help me to know, you know, if we're okay, if we're not okay. I just want to know, Lord, if I'm, do you forgive me? And that night, as he slept, he had a dream. I never forgot it. He was all excited the next day. He says, You know, I had a dream last night. I had a dream that I'm dying, and Jesus was holding me, just rocking me, telling me it's going to be okay. He died. But he's with Christ because he's a brother who struggled with sin but got a fresh start through Christ in his grace. He called on the Father, and the Father was there. He didn't heal him, he brought him home, but he was with him the whole journey. To the last breath he took, the Lord was with him. Here Jesus is modeling for us the concept. Oh, my Father, I need you. What else do you have to hold on to if you strip our relationship with the Lord away? We have nothing else. He called on the name of the Father. But even as he prayed, oh, my Father, three times. In verse 40 it says, and he came to the disciples and he found them asleep. And he said to Peter, he singles out Peter. Could you not watch with me for one hour? Peter, 45 minutes ago you boasted how you were going to stand stronger than everybody else. And you're not praying, Peter. Wake up. I wonder how many of us the Lord would say that to. See, Jesus knows, he looks down the mountain and he sees the lights coming. See, on top of the Mount of Olives where Gethsemane is, you can look straight down into the Kidron Valley, up the hill on the other side, to Caiaphas' house. And he can see Caiaphas's house light up. And he can see all these torches start to come out of Caiaphas' house and begin the journey to where they are at the Garden of Gethsemane. And he knows what happens when those lights get to where he is. So he goes to Peter and he says, Peter, you need to be ready. There's a spiritual battle you're about to fight and you're unprepared for it. I told you that Satan wants to sift you like wheat. So watch and pray. Has the Lord given us that charge anywhere in Scripture? that we are to be ready, that we are to be watchful, that we are to be in prayer? Because uh, times are coming. Times will come. Maybe this afternoon, maybe tomorrow, maybe a week, a month, a year, I don't know. But if we'll listen to what Jesus said, watch and pray. Peter, Peter, the key for him... Watch and pray. Be focused. Call upon the name of the Father. Again, in Luke chapter 22, it says, When He rose up from prayer, He came to His disciples, and He found them sleeping from sorrow. Sometimes, just like them, we can be so close to Him and so far away. They're sorrowful because of all the things Jesus has been telling them. You ever so stressed out you just want to go to sleep so you can catch a break, some plug? Jesus said that's time for prayer. Calling upon his name, seeking his face. His disciples slept when he needed them to pray. It says in verse 40, He came to the disciples and said, What, could you not watch with Me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. For the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The, the charge that He gives is watch and pray. Watch and pray. Peter, be ready. Watch and pray. Church, be ready. Watch and pray. But we comfort ourselves with this saying, The Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Let me tell you what that means in the Greek. The spirit is able, the flesh is not. It doesn't mean your flesh is slightly less strong than your spirit. It means you have no strength in your flesh. None. If you rely on yourself, you will fail. The spirit is willing. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. The spirit is willing. But the flesh will not do it at all. It won't try. It'll find excuses. It'll roll over. You cannot stand in the power of your flesh. So He says to His disciples, Watch and pray. You're going to enter into temptation. Peter, the biggest struggle of your life is hours away. The Lord knows. But Peter's not ready. Well, it doesn't shock the Lord, does it? We already discussed he knew he was going to fall. He knew he was going to fail. He knew he would give provision for him to return. But he wants us to see that victory is possible. If we can walk in the spirit and not according to the flesh. If we make make our spiritual lives a reality with him that we place Him on the throne and we allow Him to work. In 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter, who falls this night, has this to say to you and I. This is what he said. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Why does Peter say that? Because he went through it. Because he survived. Because he recognized his flesh did not have the strength to make him who he needed to be. So he says in verse 9. Resist him steadfast in the faith. Knowing the same sufferings are experienced by your brethren around the world. Is there anybody who doesn't deal with temptations? 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says. No temptation has overtaken you except... Such as is common to man, we all face temptation. Maybe not the same, but we all have temptation. And that's what Peter's saying. No longer is Peter saying, I'm so strong, just follow me. Instead he's saying, listen, take, take counsel in this. Everyone is tempted. Everyone is struggling. But may the God of grace who has called us to His eternal glory by Christ Jesus... After you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. See, Peter knows. Affliction is necessary. Suffering is necessary. That's why Jesus said in his prayer, Nevertheless, not my will, yours be done. Jesus, seeing the cup of suffering coming, was willing to drink that cup, to align his will with the Father's will. And how did he do that? He gives us the example showing us in prayer. Three times he went to the Father. Three times he prayed the same thing. Three times he declared, Nevertheless, not my will. Yours be done. Your will in my life. Your will in my life is key. For us being able to overcome the attacks of the enemy. We see in the second time he went away and he prayed. Oh my father if this cup cannot pass from me unless I drink it. Your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again for their eyes were heavy. So he left them again and prayed the third time. The same words. And then he came and listen. Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Torches were in the camp. The people had arrived, the multitude had come. Sometimes we get the idea, maybe we see it in different films, where Jesus is arrested and there's a few, a handful of people. But that's not what the Bible declares. The Bible declares in the Gospel of John that there was a cohort. A cohort is at minimum 600 men of Romans. A cohort of Romans. Then we have all of the the guards from the high priests and and the temple guards that went up with them. And then we have at least some servants because we know Malchus was there. At the very least, we have 600, probably as many as 1,000 men armed with clubs and swords to arrest Jesus. They come to get Him. And as they come into camp, as they're coming in, Jesus goes over to those disciples who were to watch and be ready and be prepared for the the struggle that was about to ensue for for the spiritual battle. And He woke them up and said... Prayer time's over. Now it's time. My betrayer is at hand. And so Peter wakes up groggily. James and John wake up groggily. They come to arrest him. They come to arrest him. The scripture lays out for us. And while he was still speaking these words, Judas... One of the twelve, with a great multitude with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and elders of the people. And his betrayer had given them a sign saying, whomever I kiss, he's the one. So seize him. That word seize him means arrest him, take him. And immediately he went to Jesus and he said, greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. And Jesus said to him, friend, why have you come? There are several words in the Greek for the word friend. Phileo is a a loving relationship you have with a friend. Most of your close friends, people that you know well, you would use this term for them. It's not the term Jesus uses of Judas. Jesus uses the term heteros. He uses this term, which is the term for an acquaintance, someone I really don't know at all. And he says to Judas, Friend, why are you here? What are you doing? Not my dear friend, someone I know so well, who's been with me for three years, but friend, that's someone I don't know at all. Because there's no closeness at this point between Jesus and Judas. There's no closeness at all that they have within him. At this moment, he comes and he gives him the kiss. The scripture says they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him. But there's something that we don't see here, and I want to I want to take you to that point because what we don't see and what we, we maybe we don't recognize quite yet. Is the power of Jesus Christ. The power that he has. If you turn with me to John chapter 18. We're going to look at, uh, at something. I think it's a little bit special anyway. John chapter 18. The power of the Messiah. As you're turning to John chapter 18. Remember. They laid hands to him. And suddenly one of those who were Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Peter, half asleep, takes a swing at a guy with a sword, probably hoping to cleave him in two, and he chops off his ear. And Jesus, speaking to Peter, he says, put down your sword in its place for all. Who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think I cannot now pray to the Father and he will provide me more than 12 legions of angels? Does Jesus need our human abilities to overcome? John chapter 18 verse 1. When Jesus spoke these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron. And there was a garden, and he and the other disciples entered. And Judas, who betrayed him, who knew the place for Jesus, often met there with his disciples. Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Who are you seeking? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with him. Now when he said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Nobody took Jesus. He gave himself. He says, Ego I me. I am the name of God. And they all hit the ground. Peter probably thinking, oh, it's my opportunity. He comes and he chops off the... The ear of Malchus. Jesus said, I could have called 12 legions. That's not, by the way, 12,000 or 10,000. That's 72,000 angels. 12 legions, 72,000 angels. One angel in one battle against the Assyrians by himself killed 185,000 men. And the Bible doesn't say he broke a sweat. 12 legions, 72,000 angels. I'm sure they'd been able to set him free. Jesus wants us to know it doesn't depend on our flesh our ability our, our, we don't need what we think we have what we need is to trust Him the key to the prayer of Gethsemane the key to the prayer of Gethsemane is it's not me it's not my strength it's not my power it's yours it's not me it's not my strength it's not my power it's His for everything we face they laid hands on Him and they took Him away and every disciple fled. But the scripture tells us there is one last thing he did. He picked up that ear of Malchus off the ground. And he healed someone who had been hurt by one of his disciples. He told Peter, put away the sword. It's not about the sword. It's not about your strength. It's about his This morning, there are people here suffering, struggling, going through things, facing difficult things in their life. And the Lord wants us to understand that the the truth of the betrayal, the truth of Gethsemane is recognizing it's not by my ability to walk in the flesh. But it's in my ability to cling to Jesus for all I'm worth. To hold on to the Father that will deliver me. That will give me the strength I need for the struggle I face. That was the key for Jesus. Still the key for us. It's still the thing that God wants us to grasp. In Psalm 56, last thing I want to share with you, this is what it says You number my wanderings, and you put my tears in your bottle. Are they not all in your book? What wandering are you on? He numbers our wanderings, the times we wander away. He collects our tears and keeps them in a bottle. And all the things we do, he records in his book. His eyes are never off of you. And they're never off of me. He is the deliverer and he's our only hope for being set free. Peter's struggle, he boasted too loud about his own strength. He prayed too little. He slept too much and he acted too fast. There's a lesson in there for us all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen? Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you. God, I just pray that we would grasp the concept, the truth of Gethsemane. What you're showing us in your prayer. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Utter submission to the Father. Agonizing in prayer. So often the prayer just seems to be something we do in hindsight after we've tried everything else. But you show us to be ready for the spiritual battle ahead. We align our will with the Father's. We accept the struggles of life as they come and we cling to you for the strength To follow in the footsteps of our Lord and Savior, who being in the very form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he emptied himself and he entrusted himself to the hands of the Father and the power of the Spirit. Even so, we as believers can follow Christ because he was able to succeed by the power of God, by the work of the Holy Spirit. And these things which you've seen me do, and greater you shall do. If we learn the lesson of Gatshmone, if we learn to accept from the hands of God, good and bad, hard and easy. And as we accept those things from the hand of God, Lord, we enable you to be our strength by your spirit to carry us through. That's how we become a good witness in suffering. That's how we become a good witness in the things we struggle in. Lord God, help us. Help us follow the word that you have given us who being reviled did not revile in return, but committed himself into the hands of he who judges righteously. Lord, you are my Father. Not my will, but yours be done here on earth as it is in heaven. We give you all the praise and the glory for this time in Jesus' name. Amen.